I'm Jeff Smith, and welcome to The Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people, and many millionaires to find out their secrets of success and to share them right here with you. Of course, it's not always measured in money, and in these programs, I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity to keep on going, and I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom that you too can implement into your own life. In this episode, I'm talking with Sean Tyler Foley. Tyler, as he's known to his, by his friends, is an accomplished film and stage performer, and he's been acting in film and television since he was six years old. He's appeared in productions such as Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. Tyler is passionate about helping others to take to the stage and impact an audience with their stories. He's currently the managing director of Total Buy-In and author of number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. I can't wait to hear about that one. His passion is promoting and encouraging people to be heard and understood. He's a professional speaker an international trainer who inspires others to reach for their dreams. Today, Tyler works with executives, helping them to show up powerfully behind the mic and to gain the exposure they desire. But it's not always been an easy ride. When he was a young boy, his father was killed in a motor vehicle accident. And if that was not enough to cope with, he encountered a medical incident that totally paralyzed the left side of his body for over a year and he was just 17 years old wow this is going to be a real roller coaster ride of adversity success paralysis for over a year and then fighting through it all to become a much loved coach and number one best-selling author so let's bring in the great man himself welcome to the show Mr. Sean Tyler Foley. Hey, Sean, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you here, my friend. How are you doing? Oh, Jeff, but what an introduction. I, I appreciate the, the crowd noise, too. <laughs> you know it's what gets me up. <laughs> well, as an actor, I thought, oh, that will spark off an anchor in your body that goes, hey, hey, we're on. So how are you? Oh, it, How's life for oh, you at the moment? Well. Well, yeah, life is is exactly how it should be. Um, I, it's really, really. I, I I can't I can't be more gushing with that, <laughs> with just uh, how it is. I, I've had a really good, especially this past month. I came off of a really good month um, where you know we're back speaking live, and I've missed that. Two years of of having to do things virtually has been uh, very difficult for me because I, as you know, feed off of uh, live crowds, live input. And that's really where my comfort comes from. As you'd mentioned, you know, I've been on stage since I was six years old and it's, it's home to me. So yeah. to not be able to go home for two years was, was difficult. So this, this last month was a, a really needed uh, boost to the system where I got to be in front of a live crowd again and and multiple times and get back to traveling and speaking international travel and speaking um, and and on top of that to be able to um, to work with people one on one again and one on many and and see their growth and see it live because that's the other thing with the virtual I, you know I can I can help coach people through but there's something magical about being in the room with them and being able to just be like, show me this thing, try this. And, and seeing that transformation live is, is amazing. So I'm, I'm excited about what the future holds and this, the present is doing well. 
Excellent. Well, we've got a lot to get through today, and I know there are some really useful tips and advice you want to share. But before we do that, I want to take you back to your early life as a child actor. Tell me about that mm. and how you get started and why. Well, I mean, you'd, you'd alluded to it in, um, in my introduction, and fantastic introduction, by the way. You're a consummate professional, so I do appreciate it. Um, the, when my father passed away, uh, when I was six, my mother was kind of looking for an outlet for me. And, you know, I wasn't, I was too young to really understand the finality of, of death and what that meant. And so I didn't really outwardly grieve, you know, I, I, I didn't know how to emotionally process what was going on. And just prior to my father's passing, literally, uh, two months to the day prior to him, uh, and his car accident, uh, I was on stage doing a Christmas play and I just loved it. Like it lit me up and I really, really enjoyed it. And a lot, and my teacher uh, at the time um, had talked to my mom about it. She said, you know, Tyler really seems to have uh, a gift for this. And my father was a teacher as well. So when he passed away, you know, there was a, a great community that kind of rallied around my mother and uh and judy nielsen who is my first grade teacher uh said you know this might be an option for him uh this would give him a chance to process emotions and and you know really dive into some creativity and it might be a really good outlet for him and so a combination of things kind of you know as tony robbins says life happens for you not to you um, life conspired to get me on the stage right and around the time my mom and Mrs. Nielsen were having this conversation. My uncle who worked for uh, the city of Calgary um, is a, a penultimate uh, bachelor. <laughs> the man just does, does not cook for himself. Uh, so he was having uh, his lunch at a restaurant and uh, at, the city hall was right across from the main arts complex downtown Calgary and a casting director was complaining about how hard can it be to find a small boy to play tiny Tim. And my uncle just kind of went, well, how, how small is small? <laughs> what, what are you looking for? Cause my, my nephew is, is a wee wee lad. And uh, so he, he got her contact information and, and reached out to mom and said, you know, would this be a thing? And she's like, I was just talking to Tyler's teacher about that. And what ended up happening, you know, is, is history. I, I got to audition for the play, got the part. Um, and again, uh, you know, not, I don't think because of any particular talent, but just because at the time, you know, I was the only one who fit the bill. Literally I was the smallest person and I could fit on Bob Cratchit's shoulder <laughs> and be carried around and, and didn't seem to be shy about it. So um, that, that kind of was my break and I've been doing it ever since, you know, starting with school plays and then doing the professional theater. And then in my later teens, moving into film and television and really finding my jam there. And, um, you know, it's, it's a thing that I still do it. You know, I, I'm running three companies and I still find time to audition for, for shows. And at this point now it's just for fun. Yeah. And which has been, you know, a great blessing too. where in my 20s, I if I didn't book a gig, I didn't eat <laughs> that month Yeah, <laughs> where <laughs> now it's now it's eh, yeah, sure, I'll go and I'll do that thing. And, you know, I even I had a, a role that uh, I got booked for one role and then they decided to upgrade me to a bigger role before I ever filmed a day. And, you know, we we're getting the contracts all signed and then they wrote the character out of the script because it was, you know, a series. <laughs> so so I went from having a day player role to having a recurring role to having no role, basically in the course of 48 hours. And it was one of those, yeah, well, as opposed to, you know, a decade or two ago where it would have just crushed my soul. So it, it's it's been an, an interesting arc. Yeah. I want to talk about the business of acting. I have uh, three or four friends who are actors. I know how tough it is and how they live their lives. 
from your perspective, I'm sure many people don't understand how tough it is to be an actor because we just see the movies. We see, you know, Tom Cruise, the billionaire and all the others, but then the normal guy. So what's it like being an actor? Uh, yeah, especially as a day player, it, um, it depends on who you are. For me, it was actually not too bad, but I had the blessing of getting into it early. So when you, when you have a resume that starts accumulating at six years old, it's real easy to have experience and um, be on top of your game just through repetition. Oh, by the time you're, you know, 17, 18. And so you get into your forties and, you know, I've, I'm, I'm looking at a career that is almost four decades now. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, a wealth of experience. And even I still, I, I'm glad that I'm not a working actor. Um, but the, for the people who are in it, it really is a business. And there are people who do it because they're creative and have talent and those people tend to do wonderful things once in a while. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who understand the business of it and are working actors where they maybe aren't the most talented, but they understand the show business mm-hmm. and are uh, constantly you know, promoting themselves, doing the work that needs to get done. And it's not the work that most people think you would need, um, you know, they're out doing workshops and training and they're doing uh, co-op creatives with people. So they're constantly working on their craft and they're constantly developing things, constantly getting feedback and critique. Um, your a typical working actor is probably doing 60 hours a week minimum and getting paid for maybe four to five of them. <laughs> so it's, it's a difficult, difficult slog. Yeah, real, real difficult. So after acting, what did you go into then? Well, I it's, it's interesting. At 25, you know, at that point, I'd had a 20-year career. So I did what most people do at 20 years into any career they have, and I retired. Um, I'd become really complacent <laughs> with showbiz <laughs> and it had become a job. Like yeah, yeah. when I was younger, it was fun. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And around 25, 26, it just, it had become a job. And I remember, I remember clearly the moment where I went, I have to step away from this because I'd gotten a callback. And for most working actors, I mean, that's second to actually booking the gig. It means that your audition was good enough that they want to see you again. If you've got a call back, you definitely got a shot of getting the role. And I, um, I'd gotten the call. I was on my way out of town. I'd done the audition. I figured most typically when you audition, your call back isn't for two or three days, sometimes a week later. So I'd done the audition that day and I was on my way out of town and I was just about to get to a national park and, and lose cell service in my agent phone. And she said, you want, they want you back. They want to have you back for a callback. I said, oh, great. When is it? She goes, like right now. She says, they want you back at the studio in an hour. I'm like, I'm two hours away already. And she goes, well, just get us back as soon as you can. And I remember in that instant being like, Ugh, I just don't want to turn my car around. Like, the, like I have to go through traffic. And, and at that point, I was like, oh, wow, Tyler, you need to reanalyze your priorities. Do you know how many people would kill for this opportunity mm-hmm. to be, uh, even have the opportunity to have auditioned, let alone have a... Uh, uh, callback. And so I went and I did the callback. I booked the role. Um, and ironically, it's it was just, it was a nothing role. That was part of it too. Like there was no lines with it. Um, and they, I ended up getting aid as a principal actor. So there's different categories, right? There's background extra. They're the people who don't speak. They don't do nothing. And they're, you don't even get a credit in the film. And then there's actors. You have, you know, one to five lines and, and you're typically a, what's known as a day player. And then there's a principal performer where you have, you know, maybe one or two scenes. You have over eight lines of dialogue. You're interacting. There's, there's meat to that. And then there's, you know, series regulars and, and higher categories, star categories and stuff. But a principal, you know, is pretty decent as a day player to get. You're like, whoa, I got a principal role. I, this 
role that I did was essentially background work. Like the care, there was no lines, there was no nothing group of people. I think I was uh, one of five guys that got cast in this role. I was a frat boy. Number one, you know, it's a good role <laughs> when it has a number in yeah. it. And, uh, and so I, I get this role and my agent negotiated for me to have not just a principal performer rate, but double principal performer rate. So I'm getting paid two times the scale rate and 130% buyout because it was a film role. So it was, it was a huge payday for one day of filming. And all I did was have this prosthetic thing attached to the side of my mouth. And I ended up having to fake vomit over another <laughs> friend's. It was just, it was a bizarre little role. And, um, but I didn't want to do it. Like I was like, oh, I got to go. And oh, they're going to, and I have to have the prosthetic tape to me. And like, at that point I was like, Oh wow. Are you, you need to step back. So I did, I, I, I stepped back at 25. I retired, uh, took all my movie star money that I had made. Um, cause that was the other thing. My mom being in uh, accounting and finance, uh, understood that when you're, a an underage performer, one of the things your parents have to do uh, if you're a unionized performer is um, set up a trust fund for your money. And 75% of the earnings that you get have to be directed into this trust fund. And you can, your parents can set up the trust fund however they want, but it has to go into trust. Uh, and the earliest it can come out of that is at 18. Well, mom was like, well, no 18 year old knows what to do with this money and who knows how much it'll accrue and all the rest of it. And she was good with money. So I didn't get access to my trust fund until I was 25. And it sounds like all rich and famous. You got to remember my mom was a, a widower <laughs> making no money. It's not like I was like, I was a trust fund baby. <laughs> it was a very, very small uh, amount of money that was locked in trust. Um, but I didn't have access to it till I was 25. Um, and part of it was I could, if I used it for education, I was able to withdraw 100% of it. If I didn't use it for education, I was only able to access 50% of it. And so I was like, well, I'll go to school. And that's what I did. I went back to school, got uh, an engineering discipline, and then started my own company. And that was kind of post-acting for me was that, that pivot with the career into um, going into business for myself. Okay. I just want to rewind a little bit. Thinking mm -hmm. about the business of acting, as I've mm. said, I have a few friends who are actors. I also know singers. I was myself a professional musician. Mm -hmm. So I know that world. I know how it is. But from your perspective, it's not always the best actor that gets the best roles. It's not always the best singer that gets the best gigs. It's not always the best musician that gets the best gigs. So what's the, what's the difference for someone in such an industry, let's say acting, that engineers success? What do you need to do as an actor to be successful? Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, talent is probably 20% of the equation. Mm -hmm. um, because talent is what gets you. If you are getting auditions, you have talent. If you didn't, if you didn't have talent, you wouldn't get auditions. People wouldn't be coming in. And that goes for acting, singing, uh, musicians. And I've done it all too, right? Like I've, I've, I've done professional vocal. Um, I've even done voiceover work. Uh, and I have been in two Juno nominated bands in my life. So I played in a band called Straight, Clean and Simple. And I played in another one called Cranston Fields. Uh, both times I've been replaced by far better drummers, but I got to drum, yeah. right? And a lot of what had me in there and why I would get asked back to do session work or any of that had very little to, because again, I am a rudimentary basic drummer. Mm-hmm. And I am a very typical day player as far as performer goes. But what I do have for me going and where the other 80% equation is, is I'm really fun to work with. You know, I, you, people get along with me in the room. I may not give you the most fanciest fills, but I've got, I've got enough talent that I have good meter when I'm drumming. I have enough talent that I will give you a solid performance on film. It won't be Oscar winning. You know, I won't get a golden globe for it, but 
I'm I'm going to give you a solid performance. You know, I'm a known quantity. I'm a known entity, and and there is trust that's built in there. And a lot of that has to do with relationships. So I am constantly working on relationships. People know who I am, and if they don't know who I am, I'm working on letting them know who I am, and I'm doing it in an authentic way. Like I'm not beating down their door and sending them gift baskets, being like, "Please cast me," but when I have the opportunity to be in the room with them pleasant i'm asking them what they need you know what one of my biggest secrets and i've booked more work this way is um i usually ask what if you could have somebody read it differently what is the one thing that i can give you in this in this read that is different than what everybody else has done Mm mm-hmm because I, I don't know. I'm going to probably read it the same way everybody else is. Because, I'm again, I'm just, I'm me. I'm going to be a typical day player. I'm going to give you a solid performance, but it's not going to be a big stretch. But one of the things that I like about asking that question is it gives them the opportunity to give me some input. And it gives them the opportunity to see me adjust on the fly. Yeah. Right? Because I've prepared my way. And if I can ask that question in the room, it shows collaboration. They know that they can work with me. Um, it shows that I can take the direction too, because if they're like, oh yeah, you know what? Everybody's reading it this way and it's really good. But if you could try, you know, everybody's doing it angry. Can you just try just for me, just try it happy. All right, let's, let's play. Yeah. Right. And I'm never, and I'm never insulted. That's the other thing too. I'm always grateful for the opportunity. And it truly is. I am grateful for the opportunity because they don't need to bring me in for the audition, whether that's, uh, you know, as a musician, as a singer or as an actor or as a dancer. Like I'm a horrible dancer. I I do tap and jazz poorly, but I take really good direction with choreography. So, uh, you know, I I am great if you put me towards the back because then I can follow (laughs) everybody else's steps. Right. And, but they know it, but the thing is, is I will do it with a big smile. And if they're like, yeah, Tyler, this is just not going to work for us. I'd be like, I, Hey, I understand it. Thank you. I actually uh, just auditioned for um, uh, a role. They wanted a, uh, like a, a piano player, but you know, like in a lounge, a lounge style piano player where they multiple styles right those guys are are truly talented it doesn't seem like it because it's you know they're not doing baroque music you know they're Mm -hmm. not in an orchestra they're not it's not fancy but to be able to play multiple genres multiple styles um is just challenging anyway they were asking i can play keyboard but i mean i play i play keyboard like i plunk i chord stuff out right it's nothing fancy and and i knew what they were looking for and i knew that i was not the talent to do that but I was going to go in. I was going to give him my best. So I gave him a quick little thing. I'm like, here's basically my entire repertoire in three minutes. This is everything that I know how to play. And at the end of it, I was like, I know I'm not who you're looking for, but I just, I really want to thank you for the opportunity to come in and hopefully at at best, I hope at least you're entertained because I know how many other people are going to come in here and try to wow you with their piano playing. I just wanted you to smile. So as long as you smiled, I've accomplished the casting director phoned me um, the next day and she was like, we're definitely not casting you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. She's like, she's like, but um, the producer wanted me to reach out to you and say thank you. I was like, oh, thank you. He's like, no, yeah, seriously. Lovely. Everybody else everybody else came in and they were like, Ugh. and she said, you were the laugh that we needed because it was getting hard listening to all of that. I was like, oh, I'm glad. I, and she and I ended up booking another role from it. They just kind of gave me a role. So it, it's not the audition and it's not your talent. It's everything around it. What is your reputation? What What is it like to work? When you actually do get on set, are you difficult or are you easy? Mm-hmm. You know, do people enjoy your presence? Because there's a lot of people who have unbelievable talent whose presence is a burden on a production and they don't get cast again. Yeah, same you as know? being a so professional you, speaker, right? It's it, yes, a, a professional anything, yep. right? Professional engineer. Yep. People don't like working with you. They they don't work with you afterwards. They they thank you for the work. It was done professionally. It was done on time. We are going to look for another opportunity with somebody else because we're just not right fit. 
And, mm-hmm. and it comes down to how easy are you to work with? And I think that when I talk about the people who are working actors who are, you know, doing that 60 hours a week and only getting paid for five, the other 55 are networking and working with other actors so that, cause the, the other thing is too, you know, there it's a small community. We will recommend people. Yeah. Right. And you know, this is speakers, right? Yeah. Right. Where I'll be like, I'll be like, Hey, I've, I've got this event that's coming up and, and I think Jeff would be perfect for it because I've worked with you and I know how easy it is. And I know the value that you're bringing to any audience and so it's an easy recommend to be like, no, right? Versus you and I have both worked with some people who are uh, less than pleasant backstage <laughs> where they don't get invited on. I was just speaking in Dallas uh, last month and the speaker came out, insulted the crowd, the speaker before him, the promoter, and the technicians at the back riser within five minutes of being on stage and when he got off stage the event promoter who was supposed to be doing another event with him three weeks later said uh i am never working with you again i am not doing your event you can do it on your own and these other three that we had planned for this year you're not coming you're not back and it, it, that relationship ended right there. I don't know why the guy did it. I don't know what. I don't know what happened with that one. But I was backstage going, "Oh yeah. man, yeah." I I'll summarize then: under promise, over deliver, and be grateful for what you get. I think that that's what you're saying in all of that. Be grateful for what you get, and and um, always be building relationships. Yeah, you never know you never know where your next recommendation will come from and you don't know who people are. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. and that's the other thing too. Like I have been, I, I think so, people get wrapped up in titles. So they're going to be really nice to the director, yep. but they're going to be really piss poor to the PA, the yeah. production assistant. Yep. Like just cause that guy has to walk around and pick up cigarette butts. doesn't mean that he's not going to be the world's greatest. Yeah. Now. And I try to treat everybody, it's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. I feel that everybody, if you're on that set, if you're in that room, you have a role to play. And whether it's important or not is irrelevant. It's integral. Everybody, if they weren't there, the production wouldn't get done. Everybody has a role. And so everybody needs to be respected. And if you can respect everybody and treat them with respect, treat them the way that you would want to be treated. It's amazing how far that goes in helping your reputation as a, as an easy performer to work with. Yeah, I remember as a young boy, my father gave me some stunning advice. He said, be careful on the way up. You never know who you're going to meet on the way back down. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that is so true. And people remember, don't they? They do. Absolutely. They, they really, do. really do. Okay. So your acting career started at six, finished at 25, right in the middle of it, you're a teenager. And then, boom. And then, yeah. Uh, Paralysis. <laughs> I, yeah. And I'll never forget it. I, I remember going to sleep uh, New Year's Eve, 1996, and it being a normal teenager. And waking up New Year's Day, 1997, and feeling off. Um, I just i I couldn't quite piece it all together at first. I, you know, I thought I'd just slept on. You know, when you sleep on your arm, weird. Yeah. It goes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that's what I had done because I do it often. It wasn't. It wasn't uncommon for me to, uh, particularly because I'm a very deep sleeper, and you know, I, to have stuff go numb. Uh, but I just thought, you know, pins and needles, you'll, you'll shake it off. And I remember trying to walk up the stairs and it just, it, something wasn't working. Like I just couldn't make, I couldn't make my body work. And I just thought it was weird. And my mom, I just bless her. She's like, are you drunk? I was like, no mom, I was the DD last night, you know, I'm like 17 years old. I'm not drinking, you know? And, and my mom was really cool. It's not like I, I couldn't drink. I didn't have to hide that from mom, which is probably one of the reasons why I don't drink because there was no the need to hide it. If I wanted to, I could. Yeah. Um, but I just, I was always the guy cause I, and I was also the first one of my friends to really drive. 
So I, I was just the DD. I would shuttle people around and I really enjoyed, and to this day, I still enjoy driving my, one of my favorite pastimes with my wife is we'll just pick a cardinal direction. We'll take the truck out for a, a two, three, four hour road trip. Um, let, so I was let always- Let me just interrupt you for one second. I, I need to yes. translate. DD is designated, designated driver. Designated driver. Yeah. So you're, you're not drinking while all your buddies are drinking and you're, you're the driver. Because people might that's, be thinking, that's what's DD? Yeah, no, I, I am I am the sober designated driver to make sure that my friends are getting back and forth. And I was for that New Year's uh, Eve. And I, so I was trying to, I and my mom's looking at me. She's like, she's really concerned because I'm trying to brush my teeth and the toothpaste wouldn't stay in my mouth. And it was like, right. I was drooling. Again, I couldn't figure it out. And then mom she kind of like she got really concerned and she was like she's standing in the kitchen and the bathroom is just off the kitchen and she looks at me she goes no Tyler look at me and I kind of I, I looked around at her and at that point she could see the paralysis because my entire face was drooping mm-hmm. and I'm I'm right-handed so I'm brushing my teeth like this and I don't realize that I can't move my left hand like i remember trying to get the toothpaste off and just again feeling that numbness and just being yeah. like ah screw yeah. it, i'll just do it with my right hand and and then we're she's looking at me and she's like i think you need to go to a doctor and at that point i'm starting to realize this is this numbness is is not pins and needles i just literally can't feel the left side of my body wow. and my face was drooping and it was it my world collapsed at that point you know, because especially as a performer, at that point, I'd been acting professionally for 11 years and I was at a fine arts high school and I was in a, I was in a final performance, like, you know, performing arts 35. I needed, I was in the midst of rehearsing for a play that was going to be staged three months later. And we, you know, we're two months into the rehearsal at this point. And now my face doesn't work. And it was a, a heavy dance one. So I, there was a lot of tap that was involved, a lot of singing and, and acting. And now my face doesn't work. And how am I going to pre- be perceived? You know, it's a, it's a hard time when you're 17 in high school. Yeah. And I was just really lucky that I had unbelievably supportive friends. Um, the worst uh, amount of, of uh, picking on that I got was they would make me laugh. Which is, you know, how how dare your friends make you laugh, right? But they make they make me laugh specifically to see me laugh because only one side would right work. side of my face <laughs> is entirely animated, and I go <laughs> on this side, but on the other side it wouldn't work. So I make this weird laughing noise that sounded like a, a almost like a donkey. I go because <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't make the other side of my mouth shut and so they were they were constantly trying to make me laugh just to hear it but you know i had a really good peer group um and we're actually still friends to this day like uh, the the, my high school friends that i grew up with most people drift apart from their senior year friends Mm -hmm. i still am in regular contact with at least 20 of my friends from high school wow and that was that was a really big help getting through um (laughs) just getting through that medical incident Mm -hmm. Okay, so how did you get through it? What was your mental state at your lowest? At my lowest, I was literally in a dark place. Mm-hmm. So um, I grew up in theater, and anybody who knows what the back of a theater house looks like, it's all it's painted black, right? Because it controls yeah. light. So uh, literally, a, a blank black box is home for me. It's comfort for me. So when I uh, moved down into the basement room in my mom's house, um, there was an extension. And so there was literally um, surrounded by concrete walls. There was no windows. And uh, I painted it black because that was comforting for me. But uh, when I woke up on New Year's Day, 97, I was literally in a a dark black hole. And, And that's where I stayed for two weeks because it was over Christmas break and I was completely isolated from my friends. I didn't know what was happening. The doctors couldn't diagnose what I had, which was super frustrating at the time. So at my, at my lowest, I was metaphorically and physically in a very dark, dark place. And I remember it just 
not knowing what I was going to do and being and and thinking that my life was over, like the world had come to an end because what do I do now? The, like my whole life is is based around, you know, your body is your instrument as a performer. And so I've had that drilled into me for over a decade. And my most influential point in my life growing up, your body is your instrument. And now my instrument is broken. And I felt broken. I felt, um, I just felt completely useless. Like there was, there was nothing to contribute. Yeah. How did you get out of that hole? Friends. Friends who started to come by and be like, look, you got to get out. You know, I'm like, I can't drive. I can't go anywhere. And they're like, well, we'll drive. We'll, we'll pick you up. Let's, let's get you out. And I didn't want to go places too, but we'd go to like movies. I saw a lot of movies over that. And 97, by the way, was a great year for film. <laughs> there were some good <laughs> movies that came out in 97. And, uh, you know, my friends would take me to, to we'd go to movies and we'd, we'd, I'd hang out in the drama room. And then I, the greatest gift that I ever had was when my father passed away I had a whole bunch of men in the community step up as father figures so I didn't get I you know unfortunately my biological father was not present for most of my life mm-hmm. but in his absence I've had at least a dozen of truly outstanding men um, help guide me. And one of them was Bob Corbett, who is a chiropractor. His wife is a chiropractor. Um, his daughter, who is my best friend in the world, is a chiropractor now. And if I'm following the family tradition, the only one who's a black sheep in the family is Jason Corbett, who is uh, Vanda's brother. And he is a doctor of law. So we all bug him that he's the wrong kind of a doctor. Um, and, and unbelievably successful too. That whole family um, f- manages to turn everything they touch into gold. And Bob uh, worked with me, you know, to try and get uh, nerve endings back and firing. And, and one of the things that he said to me, because I was really frustrated that um, modern science couldn't come up with a diagnosis of what happened. Um, you know, if it was a stroke, if the paralysis should have been permanent. If it was a Bell's palsy, it should have only affected my face. Uh, if it was some other kind of thing, I've heard a couple of theories, you know, much later on in my life as I've, I've told this story and I've had a couple of doctors been like, well, maybe it was this, but we don't know definitively what it was just that wow. for a, almost a year, the left side of my body didn't work. And Bob had said to me, what a blessing that is. And I said, why? He said, well, if you had a diagnosis, it was, it's this. And then the way to treat it, you know, you have diagnosis A, treatment B. He says, right now, you don't know what you have. So anything could work. And it's up to you to decide if it will. And I went, oh, okay. And Bob was the first person to introduce me to like personal development and mm-hmm. self-development. Um, he bought me a ticket uh, in my early 20s to Dr. John Martini, and I got to go through the breakthrough experience and then impurance. And, and I got to really understand, you know, the power of the mind and, and, and how, you know, we can control our actions, we can control our responses, which was unbelievably helpful as a performer to be able to recognize that too, going back to yep. the business of, of acting, uh, to be able to realize that I'm in, I'm in control of, of my life. You know, and there's the, there's the externals that I can't control, but I can always control my reaction and my responses. And that's really the ultimate key to success, particularly in that industry. So uh, to, to have that working on that mindset, to, to deal with the internal, regardless of the external, was a real key in my progress mm-hmm. or progress. Yeah. And, and that, uh, you know, to this day, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm still in touch with Bob, you know, like we, you know, I'm in regular contact with him um, because I am again, very grateful for his guidance and his influence, particularly in my younger ages. But, uh, but even now, you know, I look to him for guidance and mentorship whenever I'm, I'm facing a problem that I can't see beyond. Mm, you're very fortunate, man. Very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Wonderful. So 
I have a serious question for you now. You've gone through this paralysis, which I can only imagine as sheer terror. Mm-hmm. Half of your body is not working. It then comes back to you. You continue acting. You then quit acting. You do some other stuff. And one of these other things, having had half of your body not working, you think, I tell you what, I'm going to be a stuntman. What on <laughs> earth? <laughs> what on <laughs> earth brings you to that? Um, uh, l- luck luck and 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 being in the right place at the right time to and to be fair to all my friends out there who are stunt professionals who have worked with me uh nick barrick in particular comes to mind or richard brooks um i love you guys (laughs) and (laughs) i know that i am not a stunt man because that's the first thing anybody anybody who knows me will be like tyler's not a stunt man he's an actor who does stunts and they're true um, I have had the great fortune of being able to do some really cool stunt work with some r- unbelievably um, talented stunt professionals. And I just, you know, again, it's making yourself useful to people. Um, my, the second agent that I had when I was in Vancouver shared an office with uh, international stunts. And it was a training um, facility for stunt performers and kind of the, you know, the bonus for the stunt performers who came to uh, the international stunt school was that they could, there was an agent right here. So if they wanted representation and if they could make an impression, they could get an agent. Well, I did it the opposite way in that, uh, the director of international stunt school, Robin Webb, uh, got to know me because I would keep coming in to go talk to my agent, Cal. And Robin would be like, well, you know, who are you? What do you do? And kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, I'm just this guy. And he's like, well, if you, you know, any friend of Cal's is a friend of mine. You know, if you want to train with us, I was like, I'd love to, but I, I can't really afford the tuition. I am a working actor after all. He's like, oh, well, we, I'm sure we can work something out. And he, he was a busy, busy man. He was a stunt coordinator and a stunt performer. And then he's trying to do this training school. And I had a lot of free time. So I was like, well, do you need help around the office? I'm here half the time anyway. He's like, I could actually use help. You know, we could booking appointments. So I just made myself available to him and uh, basically became a unpaid secretary. And then I got to do all the training with the guys. And the guys really liked flipping around because I'm tiny, right? I'm five foot eight when I lie and 135 pounds. So I look really good when you push me around. And, you know, and one of the things that they liked to do was push me out of windows because <laughs> I looked really good falling. And I didn't, I didn't have a really big fear of it. And I think part of that came from, you know, getting over the paralysis was I knew, I, I recognize how, you know, quickly life can change in an instant. And especially with my father passing, I know that, you know, you're, you can have all the hopes and dreams in the world, but your life can be over in an instant. And so I didn't, I had a healthy respect for my life, but I also recognized that I needed to do things uh, that that brought me joy and and it's it's amazing the when you have to overcome a fear of heights and especially in that line of work having to jump out of a window the mind over body control that it takes was uh, just an unbelievable and and cathartic exercise for me so i love to do it so they love pushing me out so i got to do some <laughs> some amazing high falls with these guys um so i i i'm a i'm a actor who has done stunt work and I am always so grateful for the opportunities when I got to do it. Um, I don't get to do it often, but when I do, oh, I just love it. Okay, cool. So you've turned your acting abilities then, no doubt, of course, to become an incredible professional speaker, which is how you mm-hmm. and I met at one of the meetings with the, the wonderful Speak and Grow Rich group. Yes. So you then decide to write a book. What a fantastic <laughs> title. Let, let me do. So you are a number one best-selling author of, get this, The Power to Speak Naked. The floor is yours, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that book. Uh, it's, it's funny, too, because um, 
it was definitely a labor of love, but it wasn't actually that difficult for me to write because I didn't write my book. I spoke my book and a lot of the um, material from it came from all of my, my training sessions, which as an actor, right, I have got, I've, I filmed everything because I, I knew early on that, that you, if you have it in the can, you have it, but if you don't get it in the can, you'll, you'll, you'll ne- always regret it. Right. You, right. Even if it's, you never know what you're going to need as far as video goes. And so I, I was able to grab all of the audio off the video and then transcribe the audio to, to be the book. But it, um, it has been the, uh, the greatest blessing for me to be able to put that book together, particularly to be able to say, you know, number one bestselling author, that, that strokes my ego in a way <laughs> that is just unbelievable. And the opportunity to, you know, to come on and, and speak and be in circles, like to, to get to meet you and, sure. you know, and especially, you know, um, it's some of these really cool people in the world that are doing some amazing things, the book has opened up some of those doors for me. And the title was just, you know, at first it was tongue in cheek. When my creative team and I were working together, I was on a deadline for the publisher and we still didn't have a title. I had the, the manuscript together, but we didn't have a title. And I think we like, I literally had a day to get it into them because we needed to start working on the uh, cover art and so I had my team gathered together and I was like, listen, we just, it's a, you know, we need to come up with a title. And I don't care what it is. They're like, no, no, no. The title is the most important thing. And I'm like, I don't, at this point, I don't care. And so we're brainstorming and I said, okay, well, it's, it's an advice book. So what is some of the advice that you guys have gotten? And the, <laughs> bless him. One of my team members looks up, he goes, uh, well, you know, if you, you picture your audience naked, if you're, if you're afraid to speak, you know, if you're trying to get over stage, right, you, you picture your audience <laughs> naked. And I went, that is the worst advice ever. That is, it is so redundant. It is, it's narcissistic. It's, and then I went on this tirade for like five <laughs> minutes, just going off about how I hate this, this notion that of to, to picture your audience naked. And at the end of this, this massive diatribe, I go, I would rather give somebody the power to speak naked than to have them ever picture their audience that way. And as and soon as boom, I said, everyone, there it was. Oh, and I was like, Oh Yeah. And then as we started to explore it, you know, on its surface, I really do want to empower people so that they could be so confident in their messaging, so confident in their presentation, so confident in what they were doing, that they could literally take the the stage in the emperor's new clothes and it wouldn't matter because <laughs> nobody would be looking at them. They would be listening to them. And uh, so on the surface, that's what I like. But uh, sub to that, I don't think we need all the fluff, right? Like I just got to be on a huge stage with like the AV and the sound and the, and an MC who brought me out and the little microphone, you know, and, and just going and being me. Um, but I was the only speaker who didn't have a slide deck. You know, I went out and, and everybody, and I pointed it out too. I'm like, listen, you don't need that stuff. You know, th- it's fun. It's fun to have it. And when you can, when you can, Use it. If you use it effectively, it's great. And I pointed out a couple of the other speakers who are going to come up and really use visuals well. I, uh, Phil Town was speaking just after me, and he does an unbelievable presentation. I was like, I want you to watch what Phil does and how he uses his slides. But know that I just want you to think, like, if you took the slides away, could Phil still present? Yes. Yes, he could. He doesn't need them. They're just their advantages. So, subsurface to the title I want people to be able to give a, a naked presentation in that they don't need the PowerPoint they don't need props they don't need AV I want them to just be able to have conversations and present to a couple of people or a room uh, I, interestingly enough while we were in Dallas uh, during the first speaker's talk the power to the stage went out so he lost his AV he lost everything and including the microphone and we were speaking in a stadium it seats 12,000 people and he had to just raw dog it. You know, he had to find his projection voice and speak to the crowd. And he did. Charlie pulled it off. He did it so well. And um, the great Bob Cattell, who was emceeing, came out to kind of relieve Charlie so that he could, we could get everything fixed. And Bob riffed for 20 minutes without, without anything. It's straight into the audience. And that's true performance right there. And then on its deepest level, I believe the thing that people are afraid to say 
is what their ideal audience needs to hear. And so I want to empower them to find what that story is so that they can speak the raw naked truth. Because we as human beings have this innate BS meter and we know when people aren't telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you're not saying things that are truthful, but you're not being honest with your audience and telling them the whole truth. Mm -hmm. And we know when you're holding back and the most effective, the most powerful presentations don't hold back. So for all those reasons, the power to speak naked is, is the title of the book because I want people to be able to be confident in their messaging. I would need them to know that they don't need all the gimmicks in order to do it well and that they understand that authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness and if they know who they are at their core and they aren't afraid to be themselves and to say those things that maybe they were afraid to say earlier, um, that's when the most powerful presentations come forward and I want them to have the ability to speak the raw naked truth. Okay, so we have some people listening and they're thinking, I want to be able to speak. I listen to Tyler, I listen to Jeff, I see them on stage and they, they just don't think about it. You know, the audience claps, they're up and boom. I can't do that. <laughs> What's in your book? That's How does it work? How can I take friends of mine to say, this is how it's done. So how does your book work? What's the structure? Well, the nice thing is it's a, a very easy read the, uh, through the 10 chapters and most of it is on preparation. Anybody can public speak. And I know that because we all do it already. The number of people who are like, oh, I can't speak. I can't, I can't do public speaking. I'm like, have you ever been to a restaurant? Because if you've been to a restaurant and ordered food, Particularly if you didn't know your wait staff prior to going to said restaurant, you not only spoke in public, but you spoke to a complete stranger and asked for what you wanted and got it. So this notion that we're afraid to speak in public is null and void if you have ever, ever, ever gone to a restaurant and got food. The reality is, and I can already hear them screaming, Jeff, I can yep, hear the audience yep, being like, no, yep. no, 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 but that's different. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and they're going to say, because I wasn't speaking to the restaurant, I was speaking at the restaurant. And I will say, what's the difference? You're still speaking in public. And they will say, ah, but the difference is they weren't looking at. So I'll say, so you are not afraid of speaking in public. What you're afraid of is public judgment. And that I can deal with. And that's what the 10 chapters in the book goes through is, first of all, explaining to you that if you have the opportunity to speak, you are the authority. So already the audience is on your side. So you're the authority. The audience is on your side. You don't need to be worried about their judgment. They, if they were judging you negatively, they wouldn't show up. They want to be served. And then most of the rest of the book is going through how to properly prepare for public speaking because most people do it wrong. Most people are trying to memorize a script. They get pages and pages of dialogue that are trying to commit to memory and they're going to deliver and it creates the worst performance. We all know when people are just reading from memory some kind of thing that they then need to say back and it, and it creates this very rote cadence yeah. that everybody knows and you're just like, stop. Yeah. Right? So I show people the proper way to prepare and a lot of it comes down to mindset. Right? A lot of it comes down to uh, visualization and, and the prep work, the proper prep work ahead of time. And understanding that confidence comes through competence. And competence has a legal definition. Adequately qualified, suitably trained, sufficient experience to perform the task, minimal or no supervision. Anybody who's been asked to speak has the first two. Because if you've been asked, you were qualified. Your qualifications were what got you the gig. You know, and that's and even if it's just giving Q3's sales stats at the next boardroom meeting, they asked you because you knew it best. And finding a way to deliver that powerfully just comes down to connection and and repetition, right? We yep. we get better at things through repetition and showing people where the opportunities to get that repetition is, knowing that they're never going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I've been public speaking for 36 years. I've never given a perfect presentation in my entire life. That's because there's a to, desire to be better. And, yeah, uh, well, that too. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. There's a couple of things I will say there that are quite important. Um, I'm a pilot in my spare time, as you know. Flying is easy. 80%, 85% of the flying syllabus is what you're going to do if this goes wrong. What will you do if that goes wrong? Okay, I'm going to switch the engine off. Boom. Now what are you going to do? And I've been to so many speaking events where stuff has not worked. They didn't have, or I didn't have, the correct adapter from my computer to fit the screen. And my computer broke, the AV broke, the microphone broke. What do you do then? And it's not only being prepared to win, it's understanding what happens when this doesn't work or that doesn't work. And that's why I love the power to speak naked because you should be able to deliver your message anyway, regardless. And you gave some great examples there. And, and it's the same as flying. You should be able to land anyway, whether you have an engine or not. And one of the other things people say to me, Jeff, do you get nervous when you speak? And I said, no. And they say, oh, I'm so nervous. What if, what if I forget my subjects or what if I make a mistake? And I said, well, you shouldn't be speaking anyway. No wonder you're nervous. You know, you've mm -hmm. been called because you're an expert on the subject, not an amateur on the subject. You're called to speak because you're an expert on it. And no matter what happens, no matter what, you should be able to do it. How long do you prepare? I said, I don't. I speak completely extemporaneously. You know, it's like, wow, how do you do that? I just know my subject matter. That's why I'm called. <laughs> you know, so there's, so that aside, uh, th there's this competence and practice and all of those things to get to that level. So, That's right. And, and what your book does is get people to that level, break through those belief systems, and it's, yeah, I can do it, like with your medication. It's a good job you wasn't diagnosed because now you have the mental power to decide what will work for you. That is so liberating. I loved that when you said it. I thought, wow, that is so, so powerful. So I wonder how many people picked up on that at the time. So how do we buy your book? Well, the best way is to go to your local bookstore. My publisher has done a really good job of getting it into local bookstores. If they don't have it, they can easily order it. Um, so I would encourage everybody to go to their local bookshop just because, you know, right now it's, it's probably struggling your mom and pop shop down in the corner. Um, if they, if you want your online experience, it's available everywhere. You can go to Amazon, you can go to Barnes and Noble. You can come to my website. If you want to try the book for free, uh, if anybody comes to seantylerfoley.com and Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S E A N T Y L E R F O L E Y. Um, seantylerfoley.com. If they come there, right on the front page, we have an invitation for anybody to join my free Facebook group called Endless Stages. And if you come through the website to do that, um, as my gift to anybody who's listening to your uh, podcast, Jeff, they can um, grab a free copy a PDF download of The Power to Speak Naked. So they can, they can get it for free. If they want the hardcover, we'll show them how to get it um, on hardcover there. And, uh, but free PDF download if they come and join Endless Stages and we'll give them our, my free um, online training called Drop the Mic. It's a seven module, very easy to digest, quick um, five minute videos on, on how to you know, really prep pro uh, properly for public speaking. And then we do live training in Endless Stages every Tuesday for 20 minutes at uh, noon Pacific, three Eastern. So a little bit, it's at least easy for our UK listeners to, to get in on that because it's not too, too terribly late. It's not too terribly early either, but uh, we want to try and make it available for everybody. But uh, there's a lot of ways to get the book. But if they want a hardcover copy and they have the ability to go to their local bookstore, that would be my first suggestion. And then otherwise, any of the online retailers, you'll be able to get it there. I have it. I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it if you're interested in speaking, not necessarily naked, but <laughs> <laughs> having the belief in yourself and being a better communicator. Uh, awesome book. I really recommend you get it. Well, Tyler, we've come to the end of the show today. You have been truly, truly amazing. Thank you so much for all your advice. Thank you for coming today. 
you're just awesome, man. Absolutely awesome. I'm sure we'll be getting you back again. You have a great day. Okay. You too, Jeff. Cheers. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for listening to The Secrets of Success. I hope the show has helped you to ignite your passion, to be a catalyst for action and giving you the fuel you need to realize your dreams. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit the like button, leave a review and share. It makes a huge difference because without your help, we can't succeed. So please go ahead, like, review, follow and share. On another note, I'm always searching for great success stories. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to nominate a guest, please contact me at jeff-smith.com. I'd really love to hear from you. That's all from me today. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.